0: When, 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 when I was broke I had rich habits up. Uh. When I was broke I had rich habits up. Uh. Uh, uh. Banana.
1: Uh. When I was broke I had rich habits.
0: Welcome back.
1: Yes, Season let's two go.
0: Episode TBD. Episode um, yeah, it's definitely TBD. Okay. So <laughs>
1: today We're you are with you Neil Andrino and Chandler Halberton. Welcome to the Master Keys podcast. We're going to talk about a lot of awesome things today. Yes.
0: The main topic today is going to be about selling your house, the process of doing so. Um, and we just have a bunch of advice and different steps that you should follow uh, when you go through that process. And then we also have some news, I think, kind of related to some of the stuff we've talked about before. It just kind of keeps morphing and we want to hash it open a little bit more. Specifically, the one that Chandler... Both Chandler and I have kind of lost our minds about because we think it's going to change the industry for buyers, sellers, yeah, and also for realtors. It's it's really going to make a big big impact. So we talked about it a little bit before. Uh, it's the open bid system that's going to be on Realtor.ca. it's going to allow consumers to see
1: the number of bids and p- the pricing of the bids. Um. Anyways, the company that got well, we don't know. We don't know yet. Yeah. What, what the level of transparency is going to be. Yeah, and I think even within these platforms, the seller will have some uh, freedom to choose. Do they want everyone to see each other's bids? Do they not? What about conditions? So a lot of that's going to come out in the wash. But even just the fact that offers are going to have to be registered and legitimized, I can tell you firsthand that I don't believe there's a lot of imaginary, oh, and now you're competing. Oh, now there's an offer. Most times it's like there's seven or nine offers, maybe more listing agents aren't lying about that. And there's not much difference between six offers and seven offers. So it's yeah. not like they're fudging. There was a lot of all. feedback
0: on that that people are like, Oh, the realtors are taking advantage of people. I honestly don't think there's much of that. And I really yeah. a realtor doesn't even really want to be a part of a multi-bid situation if they don't have to be.
1: Well, I mean, there's also just the sheer hassle of like, Oh, okay. So I made up an imaginary bid. Then you didn't outbid it. And now I have no bid. And it, it makes has no to sense. Like, it, it's not the problem people think it is. However, it is nice to know the actual registered number uh, of bids. Because right now, some agents won't tell you, some agents will, and and there's a lot of unpredictability out there. What else are we talking about today?
0: We're going to be talking about selling your house. That's the biggest one. So we're going to be going over all the steps there, like I mentioned. Um, But before we got into that, you had a story here that got you kind of fired up, and I think rightfully so.
1: Man, there's lots of of interesting things going on in the news. Um, Those of you here locally in Halifax will know that that property tax increase uh, just got passed, so it's an effective rate change of four and a half percent, three percent of which is to go towards climate change initiative. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and just fix the climate here with this extra three percent property tax. Um, there's a bit of a
0: In an interesting uh, time of doing that. They're making more tax revenue than they ever have, and now they're increasing the taxes again when everyone's already facing a lot of issues with inflation and other expenses with homeownership. Just slapping it on there now is. Mike Savage said himself, he said, now is not the time to be addressing this. It really yeah. isn't. It's
1: so, and they always make the same arguments. Like, well, there's no sense having low tax. But What good do low taxes do if the if the world explodes? Yeah. It's like, well, what good does a nice environment do if everyone's poor, yeah. right? So that's a stupid, <laughs> stupid argument. Yeah. Uh, but the same one that, that they make for any time. I do want to kind of get into some weird nuance because people will, um, might be curious at, at how this actually works. So the way they set the tax rate is kind of done inversely. They say, okay, this is how much property tax revenue we've brought in in the past. And they decided this year that we want to raise the total property tax revenue up by Mm 4.6%. And then what they do is say, okay, if we want that to increase by 4.6%, how much have our assessments raised? Okay, our assessment has raised enough to already compensate for that uh, change. And then we can actually lower the property tax rate down so yep. in a weird way yes you're going to be paying more property tax but your property tax rate will actually decline does that make sense yeah yeah so for those out there um that are going to maybe find a nuancing well, actually the property tax rate didn't go up it declined It declined because the assessment's up so much that they're still making that extra 4.6 percent um while the rate's going down yeah no one cares about that i don't even know why at so the I end of the day your that. effective <laughs> bill will still be higher Yeah, yeah. Really, that's what everyone's concerned about is that you're going to fix the climate. Uh, So that's good. I'm sure we'll fix it. Um, Another thing that I found that I saw was really interesting, and this got a bit of traction in the news, is a study was done looking province by province at how much of the housing stock was owned by... um, What they call investors. No, not even what they call investors. Well, sort of, yeah. yeah. People that own more than one property. Yeah. Right. So in Nova Scotia, it was found that about 40% of all real estate, um, or what they called housing stock, which again, I don't know what they're referring to as housing stock, but 40% of housing stock was owned by individuals that had more than one property. Yeah. But this could range from anyone that has like a single family home plus a cottage to someone who maybe has five rentals to a big corporation that owns multiple apartment buildings. And within each one of those apartment buildings, you know, has many individual units. So depending on how they calculate this housing stock oh,
0: and stuff like that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Not even condos, but is one apartment rental, one housing stock unit or not. Oh, right. I so they
0: yeah, label the Yeah.
1: Yeah. And a lot of people view this as, Oh my gosh, how terrible that 40% of the housing stock is owned by people who are investors. And it's like, man, that's why some of this data is so misleading because one, you don't know how many of those are people with just one extra little pro- property, a mom and pop operation, or how much are condos and apartment units and all these things. And our population is relatively small, but then highly condensed with rentals in certain areas. Makes good stats. Yeah, you can kind of just make them say whatever you want. Right. The one thing that I thought was funny is I was like low key a little bit proud of Nova Scotians because you and I both really believe in real estate investing.
0: Yeah.
1: And we believe in real estate literacy and educating yourself and what it can do, you know, so a lot of people out there in Nova Scotia buying second and third and, and more properties actually made me kind of pumped for Nova Scotians. Yeah. Um, what were they, Did you get any other
0: provinces?
1: They kind of all ranged. Th- this is the other
0: thing. Where, most of them are around a similar point. Yeah. like, plus, like m- Most of them are like 29
1: 2%. to 41, which makes me think it includes um, rental it's, stock units. It's got to right? be. Because, uh, but like the fact that they don't really go into the nuance on the numbers, I think is intentionally inflammatory. It's like, Oh, let's just throw this out there. Cause that sounds terrible. 30 to 40% of housing stock is owned. It it and it, like, it is a little nerve wracking.
0: I, I like to say I'm with you on the being proud, but it's also a little nerve wracking just on the idea that they might be leveraged multiple times. Uh, and also that there is a lot of first time investors buying secondary properties and a lot of people just in general buying it, I think because of like FOMO and they're seeing other people do it. So, yeah. It, that is a, it is a little bit concerning, I think, on, on some level to think that there's that much housing. Almost half is technically secondary, like, owned by somebody who owns, like, two. Do you know what I mean? Like
1: Yeah, but if we all know that that is really good for people's wealth accumulation, right, then I think we, we should not demonize it, right? No,
0: 100%. I'm not saying demonize it. I guess for me, I'm more so thinking on, like, a, a price perspective and, like, a basis of, like, okay, interest rates are flying up. If there's a, a rental shortage or, like, not a shortage, a shortage of renters and excess of units. Yeah you could face some some issues. Like, that's what I'm always looking for, is, like, what's going to cause us to
1: spiral over where things could slow down or things could yeah. pull back. Yeah. Um, it also emphasizes, though, the need for new construction product to be fast-tracked. Big time. Because people who are critical of this would say, oh, my gosh, well, this is why I can't buy a place, and so the government needs to bang out a lot more. Data. I think
0: someone's going to respond to that, though, because following this article, there was another article saying that new construction product was being purchased, 75 or 80% of new construction product was being purchased by investors or people who already owned... Property, and we we do, we we, we, that. Just, we do, yeah, deconstructed yeah. that because most people are buying and they already own a house and they're real estate yes. pre-purchasing yeah. to sell for the next one. Yeah, but that's a super high number. But I think that really is is driven by the fact that people will likely put a deposit and technically purchase their new home before they sell their previous one and do yeah. a bridge finance or whatever
1: it may be. Yeah, or speculative buying uh, pre-con as we kind of talked uh, with a guest the other day. Yeah, um, finger on the pulse. How mm-hmm. are you feeling about the market right now?
0: <laughs> the usual fear-mongering deals coming out. No, um, we've gone over this, but like interest rates are interest rates are going up, and I think that's driving a lot of the older gen to list, and so you're seeing a ton of listings coming on right now.
1: A lot of listings coming on,
0: and the, the combination is is yes, there is a ton of people that are saturating it and buying it up, but they're also facing the higher rates when they go to make their purchases, and so it's impacting their ability to necessarily bid higher um, and what they can buy, and so it's it's starting to cause. Like, I feel like in the last two weeks, I've heard of more houses than I ever have not ever have in the last year where they're on market without bids or they didn't sell in the first five days. Like yeah, else.
1: there's been a bunch of those. Also, I did went through and did a quick count of multi-unit properties in the Dartmouth core. So we're talking like an area that's less than one kilometer in diameter. Mm-hmm. Um, and there have been nine pop up in the last 10 days. Yeah, well, see, well, those, I, those aren't like those are just multi-unit properties. So, like, not not counting single-family, I'm talking about someone who might be looking to pick up an investment property in downtown Dartmouth. There's been nine right now. There's four in Fairview that are all f- walking distance to each other.
0: I feel like there's an increase in multi-units coming up on market because most of these people are investors and they understand that rates have a yep. giant impact on the value of a multi-unit, and so they're trying to get it quickly. Because I feel like a lot That's of my of older clientele is like. I know when rates go up, things slow down, prices change, and they're trying to then list and get this moved before things
1: happen. That's part of it for sure. The other thing is we're now, what, 45 days, 60 days removed from the end of rent evictions and the end of, you know, COVID. Definitely, yeah. Like, so landlords know that their properties are worth significantly more when they're vacated. So a lot of the units you're seeing out there actually have some... There vacated. was a bunch of vacant units. Yeah, yeah, yeah. which means they're worth way more, um, which just shows how a lot of these initiatives that the government took are actually exacerbating the um, problem. They're not going to release these units. Instead of releasing the units and selling the property,
0: they are leaving them empty because there's more value in them. And they'll sit empty for months sometimes before they get all Yeah, yeah, and
1: the, and the person that's going to buy them is either going to own or occupy them, which is awesome, uh, or they're going to renovate them and raise them to a, a new price point. Um, but either way, it's it's... Um, it's made the problem worse, not better. Um, The other thing is some of these, I know because I I checked the title on them, some of them have been owned by Oda province people and even Oda country people who, interestingly, it's really curious, a lot of Oda uh, country investors are very tapped into um, their local temporary or student visa community. So they often rent to non-Nova Scotians. Remember the caveats in this new tax um, ruling is that, you can avoid paying the extra property tax and you can avoid paying the extra deed transfer tax if you rent to Nova Scotians, yep. not if you rent to international students. Yep. So,
0: you, I mean, what we're saying, though, is kind of their rules are actually in some ways helping things for what their uh, objective, their objective they said was to kind of slow it down, cool it off a little bit and make it a little bit more attainable for people. So there, some of these things are actually assisting with that. I think on the rental side, they're not.
1: Well, like anything else, it just but, proves that supply is what helps. So a lot exactly. of these units
0: coming on is what actually helps the issue. Exactly. If anything... They're forcing the hand with the supply because they can't build... They haven't approved or allowed new construction to go at a pace that's yeah. actually needed. And so they're kind of forcing the old product back on.
1: Yeah. But if you take those nine properties in downtown Dartmouth and the four just in Fairview, and then there's another four in the West End on there's the peninsula, blah, blah, blah. Place, yeah. those are all people who are going to be vacated. Yeah, They're going to... The, the properties are going to trade at higher prices. The mortgages are going to go up. The rents are going to go up. Then Our, true inven- sort of Our true inventory
0: number is not growing. No, it's actually... Is, we're just shuffling more in the meantime. We're
1: shuffling, and each time we shuffle, people move out. People right? get displaced, like, yeah, numbers yeah.
0: go up. Yeah, so it, realistically, these are not assisting with it. But yeah, this is this is all happening in Toronto. Like, we have, you have the numbers here from Toronto, but it says home sales were down by 18.6%. Yeah. That's huge.
1: That's that is huge. Down. That is huge. And it was actually the lowest level since June of 2000. So here's the first thing you think. <gasps> um, yeah, so th- this is big news out of the Canada mor- Canadian mortgage trends. They published this that as you said, home sales were down 18.6 percent year over year from February, reaching the lowest rates. Thirty percent. Yeah, that's the kicker because normally you think, okay, the home sales are down because low inventory. No, the inventory is actually up, and the number of home sales is down. And this was um, this was an important kind of takeaway uh, from this this real estate analyst. They said sales are expected to quote fall significantly once the current pool of buyers with 90-day rate holds is exhausted. These folks have mortgage approvals at rates up to 100 basis points below current levels, and they are highly motivated to transact. So because all these rates are going up, people are going to purchase now, but after those people clear the market, that there's going to be a significant decline in the real estate transactions. Well, so the average hit. amount
0: of money available to spend is going to go down by like 10% now, and then another quarter,
1: another few percentage points. It's just, yeah. Both the pre-approval and, and your ability to carry it just personally. So that's news coming out of Toronto. Yeah. Um, but Toronto is kind of a... We use Toronto as kind of like
0: a basis for like all of Canada, really. And because yeah, like of exactly. the sample size. Exactly. And it's exacerbated in the sense that their pricing is so high that anything that happens, like their fluctuations is like... 20% down, 30%, like it's just insane. The numbers move around so heavy. Yeah. Um, but I think we're going to, uh, Halifax and Nova Scotia, Atlantic Canada has been super sheltered to it for a lot of, pretty much through all the downturns. I feel like it's been slower, but I don't think we've taken massive beatings. Um, I think now where we've had this crazy growth, which has been not experienced here either, we might actually face a little bit of a downturn. Like I think in Toronto, they're used to spins up and down. Yeah, looking at the chart here, it's not been like the crazy up and downs.
1: It's because also there's a very small difference between like when you're going from price points of three thirty to three seventy, right? Like that's small. When you're going from price points of like seven fifty to nine hundred, all of a sudden, Mm -hmm. that's a bigger, you know, variance. Swinging a couple hundred grand. Yeah. So um, another thing that was in the news last time out, or a couple episodes ago, we brought you the story of this poor family who was selling their home. Their landlord, their tenant refused to move out. Um, they'd racked up about $15,000 just by not paying their rent. The problem was the owners had an accepted offer to sell that home, and they'd given all the proper notice, and now they had to delo- the, delay the closing date twice, and their buyer was threatening to sue them. That person's been taught. That tenant has been, <laughs> been taught. So better. this... Poor lady, she um, went through a divorce. Yeah, she went through a divorce, and as part of her marital separation, she, you know, had to move out of the marital home, and she gave notice to move into her rental property that she had. And this is a woman who, um, you know, is nearing retirement age, so she thought, I'll move into the rental property here. The tenant just flat out has refused to move out. Um, And because of COVID restrictions on evictions and the backlog at the tenancy board, there was nothing she could do about it. And she's been living out of a suitcase for one and a half years going through this process. That's insanity.
0: And I feel like there's not going to be much support on this end. Like, if this was on the flip side. Look at this poor lady. (laughs) Like, it's so... Flash flash poor lady up on the screen. No. Oh, my God. It's so sad. It it is very sad. and, And it's brutal. And I think a lot of this stuff goes on. I think... Unfortunately, she was unable to get something else in the meantime. But I think this happens to a lot of people and they end up just finding other means and kind of going through with it and it doesn't make the news. But this will get little support is the thing that I think kind of bothers me. Like if it was she was on the other foot, this would get blasted everywhere and they would be going crazy for it. But this will not get like any sort of major support online. It'll kind of just pass and Whatever, right? And like, yeah. I we have a I we should bring this on, but Selby's Bunker here, Jason Selby, some of you guys will know, Selby's Bunker is awesome. He was in the news for a similar thing where a professional tenant effectively took over his house, oh wouldn't my pay rent, we, destroyed yes. his home.
1: Yeah, in Harbor, yeah.
0: Out in Col Harbor. Stole his ID,
1: racked yeah. up credit card debt. Exactly, stole yeah.
0: his ID, racked up credit card debt. Like, it happens all the time. I've talked about it before in here too. My first rental, he didn't pay rent, he stole my appliances, they trashed the home, like, on and on and on. There's a lot of that stuff that goes on. I think it just doesn't get, publicized nearly And again, much.
1: like big institutional landlords, we take on that risk. A hundred percent. I'm a big works. institutional landlord. I'm not, but like I'm, you know, bigger than a mom and pop operation. Yeah. This was a lady who had her marital home and she they had an investment townhouse. Yeah. She goes through a divorce, you know, tough situation. Again, middle-aged single person at this point gives the right notice, follows all the rules. And for a year and a half, you know, she hasn't been able to get access to her property um, and she's lived out of a suitcase for a year and a half. And what it really speaks to though, is that we all at both sides. And I, you hate to, you hate to put sides out there, but both landlords and tenants need more effective tenancy boards and the rules need to be the rules on both sides. And there needs to be a mutual notice- respect period.
0: There yeah. needs to be mutual respect to both parties. And like, I, I don't know, like you're, you're, when you're signing a lease, like you understand that you're not all, you're not owning the house. Like, you and at the same time, when something breaks, you have an expectation that people are going to fix it, and that's what the, that you're paying for, and you're getting that luxury to do so. Yeah. But you also have to follow the rules, whether
1: you're staying or not. Like these things should also uh, be, it should be criminal. Like uh, it's so weird to me that you can steal this amount of money from people, and yeah, because yeah. it's only covered by tenancy board law, not criminal law. The ramifications are actually not that bad. I mean, the individual you were talking about there before, because he did identity theft. He got charged yeah, with, that's with fraud and, and things like that. Yeah. So he'll have some criminal ramifications. But just skipping out on rent? And your credit doesn't get hit, anything like yeah, that? Yeah, it's, it's brutal. So anyway, we I hope that on. I we hope that she on. gets a resolution here. Now that it's been picked up a year and a half later, finally, by the media, hopefully she gets, uh, gets some support there. Definitely. Let's get into it. Yeah, let's get into it. Selling your house. Have you ever sold your personal house before?
0: Yes, one time. How'd you find that?
1: um it was it was fine um do you find you got a little stressed out or a little more emotional or a little more more intense like I no but I did what everyone does where in like a span of three weeks I got all the crap done around the house that I'd waited three and a half years to do yeah. and never gotten around to and I just hammered it out right before we moved out yeah. um uh, so like I it was a it was an old home with a stone foundation, so I spray foamed the basement because that just cleans up the, the mm-hmm. s- stone foundation. I repurged the exterior. I put up the backsplash that was sitting in the basement for forever. Um, did some painting, uh, like just all these. You things. didn't want to sell the house
0: by the time you were done.
1: Yeah, well, I would actually moved into a, a new house, and I I didn't even put a lockbox on. I just put a key under the mat, and I called like some agents that I know that are in the no, area. Right. I'm like, hey, when he has want. No, not this house. No yeah, way. yeah, and I kind of regret it some days because I I did love that home and it's worth a lot more now than it was. was say, where's that? That was on Hawthorne. Yeah. Oh. So I bought it for 180,
0: <gasps> and
1: uh, 180. Fixed, fixed it up significantly. When we sold it for 387, they had to get a second appraisal because the first appraisal was like, "There's nothing to support this value." No never way. Been a sale 387. This high. Yeah. Right now, we'd probably get like seven ish. I say, probably yeah, definitely more. Seven fifty. Like we would put a yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. So we sold that one and it was kind of, yeah, it was a relatively smooth process. Like the home was in good shape. I'd been through the process a lot. So. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I found it. I did it one, twice, a couple of times, but I find it's like when I first started, so I went to the real estate board, I was getting my license and there was a lady sitting next to me. I don't know who it was. And we were just chatting and she's like, oh, like, da, 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 da and she's like, I don't know how, oh, I said, she said, why are you getting it if you're an engineer? And I said, well, I flip homes and I'd like to sell my own houses and she's like, I would never sell my own house. Mm. And I was like, I don't understand that. Like, you told me when to save the commissions, whatever. And then I did sell one house. wasn't too bad. Then I went to go sell another one, and it was a bit of a, like, negotiation war at the end. yeah. And I got so heated, like, <laughs>
1: yeah, I got emotional. I
0: need, I got emotional, and there needed to be a second barrier between me and the other agent, yeah, because they would give me the whole spiel, like, "Well, this is broken," and the inspection showed this, yeah. And it was like they were taking pokes at me, and I just got super fired up. You would, yeah, yeah. And to be honest, the deal ended up crashing.
1: Oh my gosh! And I then I ended it. up selling
0: it like a couple weeks later for like five grand less. Like, Ooh. it came down to like us like negotiating our five hundred dollars, and I was like, "Nope, I won't." And they're like, all right, fine, we're out, and they they declined. And then I ended up having to resell it a few weeks later for
1: $5,000 less to, for me to spite them over 500 earlier. So, um, I mean, I, I bought stuff uh, off market and I represent myself for that. But now anything yeah, on course. market, I don't rep- represent myself anymore, really. For purchases? Yeah, if it's on market. Really? Well, I mean, I, I'm trying to think of, I guess, just my, yeah, my last two things that I purchased on market.
0: You went through another agent? Yeah. Was it the listing agent that you got? No, 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 no,
1: no, I. I it's somebody in the office. So, someone in my office. Well, what's the yeah. logic on that? Shout out to Marcus. Um, Because there is something to be said for that arm's length. You know, it yeah. is a little too close. For comfort sometimes. Yeah. And also just liability. Like, um, you know, one time when I purchased one of my own properties, um, you know, I find myself, like, I get a little looser with my paperwork and I don't prioritize it yeah. as much. There isn't someone <laughs> like, being like, hey, you got to do this, blah, blah, blah. Condition date passed? Yeah. <laughs> and I did an amendment for a deal, uh, well, this was years ago, that it included a cash back credit on closing, which used to be really commonplace mm-hmm. and now mm-hmm. it's not. And the board threw the book at me. Yeah. And one of their main things was, well, you were representing yourself. It's like, man. So if I had another agent representing myself, like there wouldn't be an issue. But I was kind of held to a higher standard. Um, and actually, some of the haters out there that probably listen to this podcast <laughs> still hate um, <laughs> other agents. Like they'll still bring that up. With like, yeah, I've been seeing, I've been seeing the comments and stuff. Yeah, yeah. But oh yeah, that's right. Someone so did a couple, comment a couple that. have commented that. Yeah, it, yeah. Uh, so I mean, it's a, it's a pretty straightforward story. But
0: um, it used to be fairly common the whole idea of getting cash back on closing. So basically, if there was an issue and you went to the inspections. You could say, instead of taking 10 grand off of the price, let's say, let's give us 10 grand off uh, back on closing day. And that gives you the actual $10,000 in cash to get the work done. Yeah. Um, but the banks didn't like that because people started pushing it to a point where they weren't doing down payments anymore. Exactly. Like they were like, okay, we'll pay 400, give us back 100 grand on closing, and that's our down payment effectively.
1: Yeah. Um, and so now that's where kind of the mortgage plus came to be is this little 10% that they'll give you. But you want to hear the funny story? What's that? That purchase, I was putting 20% down, so there was no issue with that at all. Oh, I also point. I also was doing purchase plus improvements. So I already had all my quotes and all my extra and was adding it into the mortgage. What happened was, beyond the purchase plus improvements, like something happened where a toilet leaked and it leaked into the bottom unit and a place that we were going to do no inspections on. All of a sudden, I'm like, well, this place is falling apart. I'm going to do inspections. The inspector found there was all knob and tube, even though they said there wasn't knob and tube. So all of a sudden, I was about to back out of the deal. I'm like, I'm going to back out. You know, they're like, "Oh no, don't back out, don't back out." I'm like, "Well, man, you got to give me some money for this." And I think it was sixteen thousand bucks. Um, and I was I was in the situation, I'm like, "Oh man, I already have my appraisal, I already have all my quotes, my mortgage yeah, yeah. is approved. So you know, I, I don't want all. to do a new purchase plus improvements. So the lawyers worked it out, like, "Hey, we'll just do a hold back on closing," which is also very common. Yeah, anyone listening out here will have had a hold back.
0: Oh, so you've definitely still. And the hold holdbacks. back
1: can be released t- to me to do the work, and then. Uh, yeah, yeah, the board just threw the book at me, like, oh, you can't do that. And I'm like, well, what do you think I was trying to accomplish? They're like, well, how do we know that that money went to do the work? I'm like, here's all the receipts, man, like, for all the work. Like, well, how do we know it's the same money? Like, well, does it really matter. Oh what do you think goodness. I was trying to accomplish? Like, you were trying to, like, what if you just put extra money in your own pocket? Like, Chandler well, was using the money to buy a dune buggy. This was before the dune buggy days. But I'm like, you realize team? that if I wanted, it, no, the bank didn't care because they were doing it based on the appraisal anyway. I think right? it the, uh, I was like, you realize if I wanted more money in my pocket, I could have just asked for more commission, right? Like, I
0: feel like the bank w- would have been the one that should care, if anyone's going to care.
1: No, in, in the case where you're doing it based on the appraised value anyway, you're not doing it on the purchase. No, no, part, I, so yeah, I, yeah, I just, I just theory, mean, exactly, totally, in theory, it, it, the person it, it,
0: that should be like, you what the hell? Yeah, yeah, the yeah there were,
1: like the our, our regulatory body technically has no jurisdiction over that. So what they kind of jammed me up on is like, you know, it was bad paperwork and... You know, especially where you're representing yourself, it should have been handled, you know, this way and blah, blah, blah. Um, But yeah, as recently as like. So you got Marcus as your fall guy. Eight months ago, someone mentioned that they were out with a group of people and there was a realtor there and they brought that up. And that's something that was over a decade ago that I bought that property.
0: Marcus, do not write up any (laughs) cashbacks for Chandler.
1: Yeah. Uh, anyway, I didn't. Wasn't expecting we were going to talk about that today. But for anyone out there <laughs> now, you know, in the haterade wants to know the, the details. That's what it was. But all right, um, we're getting into selling houses. Yeah, yeah. Enough about our houses. So we've got eight steps here towards selling your home. Uh, we're going to work through them here one at a time, and then we'll recap them at the end. Step number one, really important, obviously, is to decide that you're truly ready to sell. What's that mean? So
0: you need like. Yeah, you can say I want to sell. But you need to think about two things. There's financial ramifications involved with doing so. There's yep, like Chandler said, there might be fifty little things you need to get done before you want to list that are worth your time and money. And they add up. They honestly do it doesn't always have to be big, but between buying the paint and the backsplash and getting the spray foam, like it's not hard to spend five, ten grand to get ready to sell. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Additionally, you have a mortgage and there's mortgage terms involved that you signed and a lot of times they're not lined up perfectly with when you want to sell. Like You might have signed a five-year and now you're three years into it. So yeah. you're, you're breaking this two years early. The bank is going to have a penalty for that. When you signed, they had a thing in there that says eight ranges. It can be three months interest, which is usually the l- lowest penalty that you'll get, yeah. up to as high as the interest remaining in that entire term. So let's say your payment yeah. is got $400 of interest per payment and you have 24 months left. You could have a five grand penalty for cancel, like for shutting down or paying out that mortgage early um yep. so on the financial side those are things you need to consider before getting ready to sell and then mentally and kind of emotionally are you prepared to let go of the home and, and why are you doing it and then like are you ready for all the work that's involved so getting the work done and then once you get to the point of listing for sale in today's market it's a little bit better because it's like all right it's like a five-day thing you just go super hard five days you get a hotel you move out and off you go But it can also be like a couple months and you could be having intermittent showings. So it's like, oh, like somebody wants to come by tonight at six. So you got to keep your house in like the semi-stage format all the time. You can't truly live and you got to keep everything super clean. Then you got to get the whole family packed up and out of the house for a half an hour for them to go do it. And then you get back and they're still sitting there in your driveway. And you're like, I don't want to be rude, but I also need to get into my house. Oh
1: man, back in the day when things were slower, it was brutal. I'd have to call someone like, hey, um, I know it's 6.15 and... uh, You're probably just finishing supper, but there is a group of people who are just down the road. (laughs) Is there any chance you can step outside for 20?
0: You look out your window and there's like four cars with lights on and people just kind of waving at you.
1: Um, The other thing to really, well, a big part of deciding that you are truly ready to sell is figuring out where you're going next. And that I find is huge right now, especially when you're dealing with people who are maybe downsizing uh, or scaling up when they're at that kind of tipping point of that this sale also leads to another purchase. Yep. That is really challenging in this market, and more often than not, you're having to make the purchase first and sort that out before even listing your home. And that's contrary to what people super used to do, right? Because of, like the idea, the implication of that is that you could have two mortgages. Um, or your your house
0: might not sell for what you're thinking. Yeah, like, how do you know your exact budget? Like, well, if I know my house is going to sell for 200k over ask, could have bought something
1: bigger. I yeah. would bought the one next to it that was nicer. Yeah. It uh, so so you need to figure out your end destination and what that's going to look like. As part of the getting ready to sell, like Neil mentioned, you know, checking out your mortgage penalties, preparing the home, preparing yourself mentally and emotionally, but also figuring out where you're going to go next.
0: Number two. Picking a realtor. So his name is Neil Andrino at Uh, Remax. uh. Yeah. Um, But yeah, no, picking a realtor. This is kind of an obvious one. Again, assuming you're going with a realtor, there is all these other services out there. Like, I don't even know what they're called, but these $300 or $3,000, you can list your home. We've talked about this, I think, in, in a decent amount of length, but we should honestly do a breakdown on why we don't think it's worth going with one of these mere postings there is value sometimes yeah
1: yeah to each their own right
0: but uh-huh. it's I think the simple one that everyone kind of leans on in the realtor industry is mere postings what they're called so they're just simply posting your house you pay a flat fee they might have some extra ads in there like they might give you an assessment of what they think you should list for they might have somebody come do photos um, but basically they do a little to nothing on the otherwise they on average sell for like it was like an average like 8 or 11% lower I don't, I don't know the exact number don't quote me on that but it's like 8% or 11% lower than what MLS realtor represented homes sell for. Um,
1: yeah, so those services get you on the MLS system, right? That's Which about it. Which means you're on there where the majority of people look for properties. It Depending on the product you buy from one of these companies, that may include photos, it may not. It may include pricing advice, it may not. Um, so it, it's kind of a, a pick your pick your own adventure there. That's a little um,
0: digressed, but I quickly want to say too. Having been not a realtor before and flipping houses, I thought that this was the way to do it. And I was like, definitely want to sell stuff through this mirror posting system. Now I would never go back to doing it because I realize I see myself as an agent dealing with those mirror postings, how much worse and how much more difficult they are to move over and how much slower they move because like it just, they don't, there's nobody really taking responsibility for it. And fortunately a homeowner, it's hard to take responsibility on top of dealing with everything uh, to do it. And recently I just had one that sold For about 10 grand less than what someone else had offered, because it was through a mere posting system, but they just didn't handle the offers properly where they weren't willing to look at something because it was just
1: like, no, like talk to the seller. All I will say is that if you look at the data, it is overwhelmingly in favor of listing what someone would call a full service, full agent representation. That's not to say it's for everyone, but the data is overwhelmingly that it sells for, for more money. Yeah. Anyways, that said, enough, enough yeah, yeah. That, that's <laughs> not yeah. a pitch. Um, yeah. there are also some great companies doing really exactly. creative things and, and so on and so forth. hundred percent. Um, so what do you think is actually the most important criteria in picking a realtor?
0: Ah, uh, that's a good question. Uh, how do I not No, I think honestly, like a big one is for me, obviously you need to like on a base level, they need to have a knowledge of your area. They need to have done this a few times before. Like they can't be completely fresh to new. And I say that being pretty new in this industry, um, you're
1: new by years. You're not new by volume. That's a huge thing. True. And People I appreciate can be you saying experienced that. Experienced by years and not experienced by volume. Very much so. so.
0: Yeah. No, I. That, that's a good point. Um, but just exactly having a knowledge base and then someone that you honestly get along with, as terrible as that sounds, like you need someone that you can be 100% comfortable to talk with and know that they're also being 100% honest with you and that they're comfortable with you to tell you what you need to do. Because I see it where, like, the realtor and the client don't get along, and so they struggle to ever have the conversation. They can't tell each other what needs to be done. So the, the realtor can't tell the client, like, hey, you need to fix this in your house, and vice versa, the client's like, I'm not getting the service that I need in return. Right? So I feel like that's a really, really important thing because a lot of us offer very similar services when it comes to photos and packages and this and that. Um, and knowledge of the area, at least in HRM, it's not so big where it's it's pretty easy to get into a neighborhood and get a pretty quick understanding, especially with electronics today. Like, you can pull up averages and numbers and
1: a lot of yeah. stuff about homes in two seconds. I also say, you know, you need to be careful of someone who says, oh, I'm an expert in this particular area. because all that tells me is that they're maybe not doing a lot of volume, right? Because (laughs) anyone who does a lot of volume sells everywhere. Um, And if you look at your own neighborhood, I mean, I think of the people up and down my street and the people who have moved into my neighborhood, none of them were actually also from my neighborhood. So sometimes having an agent who's got a broader reach, you know, because a person might be moving from across town or to province, um... You know, I I don't think the neighborhood expert is necessarily the be all and end all. That said, um, you need someone who is familiar with different neighborhoods and the value in your area. Because also, if they're an expert in your neighborhood, how are they going to um, deal with some pushback from a buyer's agent who says, "Well, what about this property in the neighborhood over?" Yeah, right. Well, if they don't know that neighborhood too, things say, "Well, as you know, in that neighborhood, the school districts aren't as good as in this neighborhood." Exactly. Right. So you need someone who has knowledge and. Knowledge is acquired through not necessarily years on the job, but in volume, <laughs> right? No, it's true, especially no, it's in, a, in, a, in a, true. Yeah, how quickly – like think of how short a period of time we've been doing this podcast and how yeah. much has changed in that time. Yeah, exactly. Right? So just because someone's been around for 15 years doesn't mean that they're necessarily going to be the perfect person to handle this market. They missed the last
0: 90 days and they don't know what's going on.
1: Exactly. Someone who's just been hyperactive in these last 12 months could be a better – You know, could have more – relevant knowledge for your sale.
0: And it depends on what you're selling. You need to understand if you're selling like a multi-unit property, you really, really, really want someone who understands multi-unit properties. That's one I see so commonly where it's like duplexes, triplexes, and four units are listed by agents that don't have a comfort level with uh, rental real estate. And it's misrepresented. It's not kind of showcased properly. The price points are all over the map because they don't necessarily know how to price and value certain units. Um, and then when it comes time for a buyer's agent to come through, they can't acquire the information that they need. And then they're not, again, not properly pitched or sold to those people, which really, I think, has impacted the sale price. Again, totally. this market is is aggressive as heck. So people are just bidding. They're kind of forgetting about all the agent stuff because there's enough people who are very well educated and versed on what they want that they're bidding uh, relentlessly. But when, there's, when the market's a little bit more normal, we'll say, that stuff really comes into play. And I remember before this market picked up, like you could squeak deals. I'd see agents on there. I'm like, I know I can squeak a deal from them because they don't know what they're representing.
1: There's also, and this is relevant to some of the conversations we've had about the multiple offer situation. There is a science to handling multiple offers. Mm -hmm. So in this particular market, having an agent who does volume enough that they are used to multiple offers on both sides, like so they can they know what to expect on the buyer side and they know how to like handle and steer those offers on the selling side. Yeah. Like, that is super important in this particular market. I have one last item. Yeah.
0: And this is kind of a weird one and it's, but I I believe in it now they need to have some aspect of online presence. Yeah. It yeah. is so big. Like the real estate books, not really there. They can have really beautiful sign. Nobody really cares. You gotta yeah. have presence online. It's crazy. My most recent listing, I had two, uh, random people message me off of Instagram, ask for showings. Like,
1: yeah, totally. Never
0: met. They don't even follow me. I don't even actually know how they even saw the Someone story. tagged them. Someone shared it. Yeah. Someone sent it to them, and they, and then they, you know what I mean. So that stuff is unbelievably important. Now I cannot yeah. stress that enough. So if you want someone who has a bit of that, it, it's going to make a difference.
1: Yeah, but again, just I, I think that having a really good, comfortable fit with the person that you can yeah. talk candidly is is important. Also, exactly. All right. So you've got you've made the decision you're going to sell. You've picked your agent. Now, what you got to prepare yourself to sell and go through the actual process, the actual process, the work involved
0: of putting up that backsplash. No, in this case, Uh (laughs) there's a couple things. So, on like an administration side, you kind of need to pick a target date. Um, If you don't have that much work to do, you can probably pick the exact date. If you have a couple weeks worth of work, you put a rough date on where you want to be, and and you also need to get a rough idea of pricing of where you want to be. I see that fluctuate all the way to the point of like two minutes before we list sometimes when we're back and forth. And I think that, again, is where your agent's going to come into play and giving you advice on a price, yep. but also because the technique. It's like some people want to price a little bit lower and shoot it up. Or if you don't have the risk tolerance or you're, you feel more comfortable coming at a higher price, like that's where in today's market it's really important your agent gives you some guidance, but you want to pick that. So you pick your price, you pick your date, and in that same time, you're also going to have to complete staging, your photos, Staging doesn't always have to be full on like furniture coming into your house, but it's I think it's always worth getting what's called a staging consult. Yeah. Where they come through the home and they might say, "Hey, look, Let's move this couch out of this room and move it into another room. Let's get rid of some of these things off of these surfaces. Let's put these books on this
1: shelf. Yeah, let's also, you know, I've got some throw pillows. Let's put them here for the photos. Yeah. We're going to, you know, add some greenery here, all that.
0: Yeah. Exactly. And make sure all your light bulbs are, are replaced. shout
1: to Charlotte Interiors.
0: Yeah, we're, yeah, we have to give Charlotte. Yeah, she's a beast. Yeah. Um, but getting all those things done and then also getting, like, if you can, drone shots are nice, but flying a drone seems to get harder and harder every day. Yeah. Walk-through videos, all the stuff, getting ready for social media. This period of time is going to be surprisingly more stressful than you think because you will find out that you have so
1: much stuff in your house. Yeah, this is the most – I always tell people this is the most invasive, worst part of the process. So when you hire an agent, they should be able to kind of tell you a few things they should say – this is our target date. This is when we're going to list and here's why, right? We're going to list on this particular date because it's after this holiday or before this, or, or, um, you know, it's a good time of year, et cetera. And our our marketing will line up for a five day offer window in this particular market that we're in currently. Yeah. Um, so they're going to be able to tell you the date that you're listing. They're also going to be able to tell you how the following five or six days are going to go Mm -hmm. when viewings are likely to be highest. Um, you know, when we can expect to get feedback, when we'll take offers, how we'll manage those offers, and what those five to, to seven days will look like. Then they'll be able to tell you what the due diligence period is going to look like, and we're going to talk about that in a second. But additionally, they should be able to tell you the five days leading up to the listing, what you need to do. And, and maybe, it's, maybe it's two weeks or what have you. But it's going to be a list. Listen, we need you know, your most recent property tax bill. We need 12 months of your heating costs. We need 12 months of your electrical costs. Um, If you have a recent water sample test, if you're on a well and septic, we need that. I need a list of every upgrade you've done to the home in the time you've been here, ideally with paperwork if you have it. Do you have a survey or location certificate? Do you have any information on the septic? Do you have warranty for the appliances? Condo docs. All of these things, condo docs, rules and regulations, subdivision subdivision rules. All of those things... um, That is what your agent is going to tell you they need leading up to the actual listing. Then they're going to go over your disclosure document with you, all these sort of things, um, and make advice on in preparation for the photos, do this, do that. We're also going to bring the stager in and so on. So once you pick your agent, they're going to guide you through that preparation to sell. um, And it's the actual logistical things that you do leading up and getting all the supporting documents to the activation, to the showing window, and to the uh, due diligence. Question for you on that one. How, do you often do pre home inspections? Um, I don't, but um, in this market, they're becoming more common. I have done them in the past. And so, a pre
0: home inspection would be in getting your home inspected by a licensed inspector prior to listing, so you can say, "Look, like I've already done it, and we went through and we fixed a bunch of little things that he said, and now the home is ready to roll."
1: Yeah, it's a double edged sword because on on the one hand, as soon as you know about something, you are legally obligated to disclose it. So it's like if you find something in <laughs> that I inspection report, like you're now sharing it with the world. Yeah. Um, but on the flip side, if you disclose all these things up front, then in good faith, the buyer can't really come back to you about them after the fact. Exactly. Right? They can't say, oh, well, we're wanting five grand off because of this, this, and this. Like, no, we told you about that up front, right? You have a copy of the pre-inspection report.
0: And if you have a good condition house and it's a multiple bid situation, they might, well, they hopefully might waive, over- it. waive the condition. Yeah. Plus, they might be a bit more aggressive. Like, like I know I have a lot of buyers that they just, like, you don't, you're not expected to know everything about a house. So when they walk through, they don't know what they're looking at. So they have to bid based on assuming... There could be issues. Yeah. But if they're like, hey, a licensed inspector is telling me there's no issues, I'm good to be aggressive.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So you've decided you're ready to sell. You've picked a realtor. You're prepared to sell. Now it's time to actually list the home, get yeah. it on the market. Right now, like we've alluded to, you sort of listed on day one and you plan for showings day two, three, four, five, maybe even day six. And then offers on day six or seven is kind of. Yeah. Pretty you try and right capture now. a few
0: weekdays and a weekend every yeah, time. Exactly. I, think, I think that's what people like to do. Um, it used to be offers every Sunday and it was just beating every realtor up because you're oh trying to enjoy God. some time with your family. But every Sunday. Every Sunday you gotta submit a bunch of offers. And if you have listings you have to receive a bunch of offers. Yeah. I feel like we've all gotten off of that now and they're kinda spread between Monday, Tuesday, the Wednesday. Monday,
1: Tuesday, Wednesday offers are due, But for
0: it, sure. Uh, there, I find there's actually a difference in what day you pick on that too. Like I find if you go like a later, like Wednesday,
1: Thursday. You might lose a few people because they're bidding Monday, Tuesday. People sort of ask about this window all the time like, well, why do we do that? And, you know, why is it so short? And why is it not longer? Blah, blah. It's that optimal window of there's, you create the sense of urgency mm-hmm. while also giving everyone a chance to see it. Because you go too short, not everyone gets to see it. And that doesn't help the seller. If you go too long, then buyers start going, oh, well, maybe, yeah, that's right. We'll think about it There's another new day. new options. Yeah, and then a new home comes on the market. So it's a it's a tight, condensed window there with a little bit of strategy. Again, that's why you pick a realtor who knows what they're doing. And we, um, go ahead, sorry. I was just going uh, to say, just to continue the listing process, you should prepare to be out of the house for uh, much of that window. Again, this is just speaking for today's market right now where those viewings are going to come in pretty hot and heavy. And um, it's easier on the seller if you stage it once, clean it, yeah, and just leave for a few days. Exactly. Take
0: a little a little vacation if you can, or family member, or rent a spot somewhere. Like, just do something if you can. I find that's the easiest because otherwise, it's it's a nightmare to be out. Like, people will start showing up at eight, and they will literally be there until well Chandler will be there until eight
1: thirty. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Chandler loves his night showings. <laughs> uh, man, I, I had one one time where we had to change. So showings are typically restricted to one group at a time. And usually, it used to be like you booked oh, it for an hour.
0: Typically and usually. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: And, and you know, it, it used to be one hour um, that you could book, and then it was shortened down to like 30 minutes. And now there's been some listings where it's like, you got 15 minutes to get in and out.
0: Now it's a supermarket, right? because, and you all line up yeah. outside. Yeah. And as quick as you can go through, and then there's another person that's following you in, and then there's another car parking in the driveway, and two more down the street waiting to pull in.
1: Yeah. You know, one of these things, that I, we didn't have this in, in the list here, but for people who legitimately have not sold a home or been involved in this for a while, you give a spare key to the realtor who secures it in a lockbox on the property. And that lockbox oh, yeah. is only accessible by licensed realtors who who subscribe to this service to access the, the the box. And it records who's been in there when. So that's a little nuance that they're um, amazing. Yeah. They
0: are amazing. Also, I wouldn't be too concerned about the box getting broken into. It is like Fort Knox.
1: It's yeah, a stainless man. steel
0: box coated in vinyl. Like you'd have to really blow it up
1: Yeah yeah, it, to get it, in. They're, they're pretty tough. And um, your listing agent will not be accompanying buyers on the showings. Uh, it, that sometimes, can happen. Like sometimes, sometimes uh, a stranger calls off the sign and, and as a listing agent you show them. But most often uh, it's going to be another agent representing their own buyers and they're going to go in privately so they can you know see the place and, and speak
0: amongst themselves. If you really want to throw your listing agent for a loop, Ask that they're there
1: for all showings. Oh, that's not even funny, Neil, <laughs> man. That's not funny. Um, so, they're get a higher sale price. You, now. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool, man. No, no. Um, there's uh, always the question like, well, what if, like, do you have any buyers for my home? Right? This is a big question. And this oh, yeah. is how some agents who say, oh, oh, you know, I'm a top producer in this neighborhood. Yeah. In fact, I've got so many buyers looking yeah, in this neighborhood. Yeah. I can, you know, probably even bring one of my buyers by. And why I call them,
0: Chandler and bring Chandler with me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it helps them get the listing. Yeah, I always say like, yeah, I might have a buyer for this home. However, you know, you can either have just my one or two buyers, or you can have the fifteen hundred agents in our market trying to sell your home. Statistically, it's far more likely that one of them are going to have the perfect buyer for you. Yeah. Um. Because I'd rather tell people honestly rather than like, oh yeah, like I'll I'll sell it for you like with a buyer too. It's like no no you want. All the agents with all their buyers, any company coming through.
0: Yeah, and I'll be honest, like I mean, I guess not always, but any big agent will have probably buyers for your home that are gonna be interested, gonna want to see it. But like you said, you might yeah. get someone that's willing to pay more or have better conditions or be in a better financial position. Yeah. So you always want to go go to MLS as much as even a realtor might push you to say take take that offer because it's a let's yeah. say a double end situation for them uh, where they get both the buying and selling commission it's always worth getting MLS. Honestly, like you, you're just going to find more,
1: more. Yeah. The time I find that, uh, that people don't go on the MLS is, is usually have to do with disturbing tenants or like a real focus on privacy. Yeah. Uh, That, that's the time that I find people do, do the off market stuff. Um, another little thing just like to be prepared for as a seller, stuff's going to not quite go perfect. There's going to be people who leave the back patio unlocked. Who walk through with their shoes on. There's going to be people who, and man, it just kills you as a listing agent because, you know, you just, assume that the buyer's agent is going to double check that the patio door is locked. The lights are off. And like, you know, all of these little things, but inevitably, sadly, um, things happen. So it is advisable that um, either you swing by late at night to secure the property or have your agent or neighbor, someone come by and just double check the property every night when you're leaving it vacant for these long periods of showings.
0: And on that same note, also usually best to have your pets out of the home. I find oh my dogs are 99% yeah. of the time gone. Cats tend to stick around. I know. Which is sometimes okay, but
1: surprisingly cats, when there's new people, seem to want to get out of the house very fast. I love this. I'm going to give this this little tidbit of advice to sellers out there. You want to make the viewing experience of your home as simple and enjoyable as, pro- as possible. Yeah, That means if there's an alarm system, disarm it. right? Because the first impression buyers and their agents get of your home is, oh my gosh, where's this thing? Uh, just one second here. I'm fumbling with my keys. (laughs) It is a high anxiety situation. As soon as they walk into your home, Mm -hmm. then they have to read a sign that says, don't let the cat run out. You know, (laughs) it's a house cat. And these are things as silly as it sounds, they don't create a enjoyable, welcoming experience to your home. The other thing is I hate when sellers or their agents, rather, I should say, put the lockbox Right? This is the device that holds the key on an obscure part of the house. On like the top branch of a tree. Yeah, they're like, oh, <laughs> it's hanging off the uh, the screw on the back of the shed. <laughs> and it opens the door to the side basement. <laughs> because the key that they use uh, is going to be the door that they walk through, which yeah. is going to give them the first impression of the home. Yep. Right? So a tip to buyer, don't have your alarm on. Don't have cats in there that the person needs to be responsible for. Have the key to enter the house in the best light. If that's the front door, if that's the side door, because you have a big mudroom, whatever it is, like put yourself in the buyer's shoes. How do you want them to experience your home?
0: And I'm going to give add two more on there, and these are for my mom. Make sure to have cookies for the buyers prepared and warm. <laughs> and last but not least, and I love doing this, I remember being a little kid doing this, boiling cinnamon sticks in water. To make it smell... Are you serious? Yeah, make it smell like we baked in the house. My God, what is this, 1992? Yes, and I ran through the house. Yeah, see, Mark did too. I ran through the house with a pot of water that's like steaming and smells like cinnamon. Smelled amazing.
1: Man, just get yourself... uh, This is a good question. People ask me all the time, what's the best scent? I say fresh paint. So I say, if you really want a scent... Right. Go out and get uh, a can of trim paint. Chandler's trying to make Huffing paint a thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like p- people do not like um, especially fragrant places. Um, they just don't. Right. It's overwhelming. True. And sometimes how many times have you walk into a place where the strong smell and they go, do you think they're trying to hide something?
0: Oh, yeah. All the time. Right. So or it smells like it, litter box.
1: Yeah. Like if, if you're going to have a scent in there, make it really, really mild or paint your foyer. Paint the trim around the front door because fresh paint is the best smell when walking to a house because it makes you think about a home that's been freshly updated and is well maintained.
0: I, I gotta say, it's a little the smell it makes a huge difference. I was in a house today; it's a triplex. I think you might have been in it, and it was smoked in like crazy. Oh yeah, everything was yellow, but for some reason, it kind of smelled like Febreze.
1: Oh, and heavy Febreze! You got there two hours after me. Uh, my nose still
0: hurts from okay, the Febreze. Mine wasn't bad. I came yeah. in and I was like. I was walking around kind of slow. I was like, this is a The masks place help. The masks help a yeah, lot. Yeah, true, true. But I was like, I don't this place isn't too bad. But I'm like, if the, if I came in here and I got a headache from the stink of the nicotine pouring out of the walls, yeah, yeah. I would have been like, let's get out of here. This place is crap. But yeah. I kinda of
1: hung out because I was like, that's not so bad. Yeah, we yeah. chatted
0: inside the house. Yeah.
1: I mean, I guess we should backtrack and say, try to make sure a house doesn't smell and it's not dirty and all these things. I guess that goes Yes, you know. Yeah, that, I think that's, much that's unsaid. And yeah.
0: But anyways, so you now have listed it. And the day has come. It's now Tuesday at noon. You've Your listing agent has received 43 emails, 800 phone calls, 76 texts. Everyone yeah. asking the same question. Do you have any offers and how many do you have?
1: Yeah. And I actually had this. Uh, I've listed a place here and my seller was asking for feedback. And do you find this right now? Things are moving so quickly that agents do not give much feedback anymore. Because it used to be you show the property on day one. And then maybe on day two, maybe day three, you give a little feedback. Yep right? Now it's so quick. They show the house and either they're writing on day five or they're not. You never hear from them. So it's like pulling teeth to get some of this feedback from, from buyer's (laughs) agents. Also, they feel like, ah, they don't need feedback from me. They probably have so many showings and they're getting so much interest that I don't even need to give feedback. So I sort of told this to my seller and I could tell that she was a little sad and upset. She's like, well, I've kind of used to getting feedback I've sold before. I'm like, I promise you, we will get feedback. I'm just telling you, it may not be instantaneous, and it, it, won't may, it, won't, it won't be from everyone. It just won't. Um, I'm guilty as charged. I'm, I'm busy. And
0: what happens? We're all busy. No, I don't give feedback. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I, I, I get <laughs> feedback if, if we're interested in the property.
0: That's yeah. yeah. Same same here. I, I go on there and I open it and I'm like, these three are already sold. I can't because really, we have an app that has that says where you put in your feedback. And I open it and I'm like sold, sold, sold. Yeah. I missed all these ones. And in my head, I'm like, yeah, it's a beautiful house. They're going to get 15 offers. They don't need me being like, five out of five. Beautiful house. They they already know because the offer is three yeah. hundred K over asking.
1: This is why the feedback is essentially changed in this market to expressions of interest. Right? For the most part. <laughs> yeah. e- either either you're not interested and then you why would you take the time to, to give the feedback? Yeah. Or it, it sometimes you'll have an agent say, listen, it went well, but just so you know we're not going to be offering. Right. Yeah. And that that's great feedback, you know, to have so you know who, who's not gonna follow up. Yeah. But otherwise people are saying Hey, we think we might offer. And that's buyer's agents registering interest so that if something develops on the property, a bully offer or a change or something, you your as a listing, listing agent know to risk, uh, reach back out to them. To the touch base. So you've gone through the process. You've laid out your your offer strategy, your campaign. The day has arrived. You've got the offers. Five Tip, in hand. Say you've got five in hand. The first thing sellers are sometimes surprised to know is that you're going to be responding to those likely the same day. People are like, so what, do we get back to them in a couple days? Like, no, no. You're getting back in six hours. Yeah, it's very common for an offer to say be due at four o'clock and left open until 10 p.m. Yeah. And so when you're planning your listing strategy, part of it is to be available that night. Yeah. You know, do not make your offers due a night that you've got your grandmother's birthday um, and are (laughs) going to be able to be reached by phone. Yeah,
0: exactly. So you need to be prepared to do so. Um, In this time, again, a really good agent can help you get a very good offer and help you get it cleaned up. Uh, Yeah. versus just presenting you the offers and you having to make a selection. If they have relationships with some of the agents that have sent in the offers and or know the techniques to improve the other offers, they can work with you to help get a better offer on your table, whether it be on a price point or whether it be on conditions or on the dates that you need. So it's really important that you have someone that's comfortable doing that and comfortable picking up
1: the phone and chatting with these people because that can make all the difference. And maybe even has a rapport with different agents because um, I always tell sellers, when I'm sitting down with them, you know, we're obviously going to choose the best offer on its merits, but what if some of these offers are close? Mm -hmm. You know, well, how well do I know each one of these agents? That is part of the dynamic because like, all right, I know I've dealt with this person before. I know how they behave during the inspection period representing their buyers. I know that they work with, you know, pre-approved buyers because I've done deals with them before. So there is an element of that. You want an agent who knows their colleagues quite well. One thing I realized that we didn't kind of go through with number three, preparing to sell, um, but it it comes up now is you should have an idea of what your priorities are, right? What is your goal price, right? That's part of your listing strategy. What is your goal price? What is your preferred move out date? Yep. You know, if you're buying another place or if you're moving to an apartment, but it's not ready until the 1st of September, that means you need a closing date after the 1st of September. Yep. So you should have all of those items prioritized and identified and have already communicated them to prospective buyers. So the hope is that when those five offers come in, they've already got the closing date that you want, right? They already maybe have waived inspection because you provided the inspection report. Yep. They've already reviewed your disclosure document that says the oil tank probably needs to be... Don't ask for
0: documents you've already provided.
1: Yeah, the hope is that when those offers come in they're clean. And now you really are just looking down to price and and subtleties in, in the differences in conditions.
0: Yeah. No, 100%. Um I guess yeah, so then you you pick your offer and you don't want one that's if it's Chandler represented by Marcus, you got to watch out cuz they <laughs> do cashback deals. <laughs> Jesus. So, <laughs> uh, but no, so now you accept it. Now understanding when you <sighs> accept an offer, there let's say there is conditions and likely there will be. Today's markets made it where a lot more get removed, but you still see a fair fair number of them. And really the big ones to look out for are your, they need financing. And again, this is where your agent should call and speak to them and see like, when you say you need financing, have you been to a bank? Like, is this just a hope and a dream? Or you have just have a down payment? Or have you guys have a pre-approval done that's actually valid? Yeah. Um, or are you paying cash? What, what does it mean? Uh, and then also an inspection. That's like the biggest one, I'd say. Uh, hands yeah. down, they're going to be bringing in a home inspector, potentially someone to inspect the well, the septic, if there is one. That is something that you need to be comfortable with. They're going to come into the house for three hours and basically pick apart everything. And yeah, they're going to open cabinets, they're going to open doors, they're going to go into absolutely everything you can.
1: Yeah, and again, your agent will explain this to you, like, hey, you need to have that room accessible because that's where the sewer line clean-out is. Exactly. You need to have that closet clean-out because that's where your attic access is. If it's on septic, you need to have your septic tanks Accessible. That means you might have to book a company to dig them out. Yes, all all of these things you need to be prepared because there's nothing worse for a seller when they go, they get those offers, they accept when they say, so now what? It's like, oh yeah, we forgot to talk about this. You need to do all these things. It's a bunch more work. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would say getting the offers. Step one, step two is to getting through the due diligence. I um, do that due diligence period. Just is also going to
0: be about two weeks. It, it's shortened up. It used to be two weeks almost always, and nowadays they've shortened to ten days, almost five days sometimes.
1: Yeah, because and and. As a seller, you might want the one that has the shortest period because then you know as quick as possible, is your home actually sold or are these buyers going to flake or move on or not get their financing and then you have to get back on the market. So as a seller, you like a shorter conditional period in most cases. Understanding that
0: if somebody needs financing and they put in a three-day conditional window, that there's
1: there's not always a
0: chance. Like sometimes I've seen it get approved in 24 hours, but nine times out of 10, the approval is going to take five business days and in COVID life, COVID time, that's seven or eight business days. So like just yeah. understand that you, they can put whatever they want on that sheet, but it can also be partially technique as a buyer to lock down this property and then mm-hmm. come begging for forgiveness saying, hey, we need a bit
1: more time. Yeah, I've been in situations I'm sure you have as well, where I look at the condition like, man, there's no way they're getting that done at that time. So sometimes as a listing agent, you're advising them, listen, they're saying, like, what day is it today? Today, Thursday? Uh, yeah. They're, they're saying they're going to get this done on Tuesday. They probably forgot that it's a four-day long weekend right? They're not going to get this thing done on Tuesday. So we can accept this, but we might need to be mindful of the fact that they're likely going to need to extend. The other thing, uh, which is really big in the market right now, is if a client waives the financing, you as the listing agent have to have a conversation with your seller and a conversation with the buyer's agent that what happens if the bank needs an appraisal? Because Mm. you can have no financing requirement technically, but... The bank may still need an appraisal on the property. There's nothing worse than going to a seller a week after the deal's firm and saying, oh, yeah, the buyers need to come back in with an appraiser because uh, they're going to go panic mode. Yep. Like, why do they need to come back? What if it doesn't appraise out? Which is a legitimate question. If it doesn't appraise out, the buyer is going to have to make up that difference. So in this market, I'm asking a lot of buyer's agents, hey, I see you waive financing. You probably are going to have an appraisal then. Um, what's going to happen if, if the if the appraisal comes in short? Exactly. Is your buyer going to top this thing up? Exactly,
0: and that's again, it's where a good buyer's agent will let them know that that's a situation, or they can pay cash if need be. But a hundred percent, I'm with you on that because a lot of people do waive it, but most times they still intend to utilize financing, especially when rates are low, on and on and on. Um, so yeah, that that's
1: an important one. I and think. you are out of the house for the inspection. That's been an awkward one I've come across before. Like I show up with a buyer client. So I'm like, hey, uh, we're here for the inspection. And I couldn't help notice that your sellers are sitting in the kitchen still. Because <laughs> they just didn't know, right? They're like, oh, I thought we stayed here during the inspection in case the inspector had any questions. Yeah. Like, that's adorable, but no, get <laughs> out. <laughs> with the dog
0: yeah, and the yeah. cats. Get all Um But And you don't need to do the cinnamon trick for the inspector. He's going to look through everything and he's not going <laughs> to smell
1: it. He's so like, where's the cinnamon? <laughs>
0: um, so, okay, so now you've gone through that period and it's time to firm the deal up. But they've did their inspection and they came back with a ten grand issue.
1: Yeah, next round of negotiations. And this is something that your agent will prepare for in advance that this could come up. Um the no deck, one likes the deck it shot. Yeah, yeah. I didn't expect it to be shot. Yeah, and as a seller, this is also why you try to be proactive and disclose anything that you know of because again, that lessens the chance of this coming. But inspectors this is what they're there for. They find things and it's often a surprise to both the buyer and the seller. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there is no rule as to what to do um with the issue that's come up the buyer negotiation yeah it's just straight up negotiation like the buyer could walk away like that they're within their this is partially where the seller's
0: market buyer's market thing comes from i find too like Mm -hmm. when it's a buyer's market the buyer has a lot of strength at this time to be like deck shot i want 10 grand off and a new deck and you're like wait a second if i'm fixing it. but in a a seller's market like we kind of have now you're like deck shot you're like yeah, cool. Like, either you're going to buy it or I'm just going to jack the price up another 300000 and throw it back on market and I'll sell yeah. anyways. And yeah. so you're seeing a lot of buyers that are just having a stomach at the inspection reports more for their own knowledge than really anything else. Yeah. Um, but I do remember, like, when I first started, it was more of a buyer's market. You would get nitty gritty. Like, we would get into, like, we're like, oh, these two outlets don't work, so we need 400 bucks off. And they were like, oh, I know. Yeah, sure. Like, no, like, if it means yeah. we keep this deal together, like, we'll, we'll sign that, no problem. Yeah. Um, and so it's, uh, there's a
1: science to that as well. Like as a seller, like how do you navigate that? Y- you trust your, your agent to kind of help you through it. It yeah. might involve getting quotes. It might involve getting a second quote to counter the quote that the buyer has. Yeah. Um, and you can either do the work, you can offer money off the purchase price. There's really no hard and fast rule to what can come out of that negotiation. Um, cause you can also stand your ground and say, nope, take it as is, as Neil kind of alluded to. Uh, but you want to trust the guidance of, of your realtor because the ultimate goal is to get the property sold. You don't typically want to go back on the market because when you go back on the market, um, infrequently do you get more money? Infrequently do you get more money, and in fact, like sometimes the optics of having a, a, a deal fall on inspection looks a little bit less than ideal to to future buyers. They're going to ask the question, often, right?
0: Often, and yeah. if I find once you fall once, it seems like it happens a couple times more. I feel like it's just it's a mental game at that point for some of the buyers. Like
1: it's like, well, a person before me backed out, and I found a couple of things too, so it's probably not worth it. So I'm going to back out as well. It's uh, also you you lose that optimal stress window that we talked about, where there's that sense of urgency with the buyers, right? Once the property's been on the market for a little while, it doesn't have that sense of urgency. And everybody it's gets to, a shot. Yeah, it's hard to recapture that lightning in a bottle. So you try to make that offer work.
0: What do you suggest to somebody that um, okay, there's like a five hundred, well maybe more than that, a two thousand dollar repair to be made? You want two grand off, or do you do the repair because your guys think you can get it done for a thousand bucks?
1: I mean, that that's going to be case by case with the seller, right? Like some sellers are saying, I, I prioritize every dollar in my pocket. Yeah. Um, I can, my personal preference and what I would advise people say hey, generally speaking, it's kind of easier to just give the money off the price. You're about to go through a move. There's so much involved in going through a move. Uh, and also, anytime someone starts work, it could snowball into something else, right? Give them a little this bit of, is- give them the money off. This is the thing. You, you go to on. fix one thing and you might
0: find another item. The other thing is, is like agreeing upon the quality of how it's done and making sure it has a warranty and this and yeah. that. They say, you're replacing one piece of laminate. And then the buyer's like, well, I expected Taylor Flooring to do it and give me a lifetime warranty on that piece of laminate and da 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 and
1: this color and that. And here's the other interesting one. So there's a basic principle out there, and this should make sense to people. You don't get new for old, Right. <laughs> You don't get new for old. Yeah. So, say
0: accounts for appraisals. uh,
1: Well, well, but um, this is one. Sometimes, like, well, the uh, hot water tank is um, seven years old, and our inspector says it only lasts till ten years. This used to come up, man. When when things were buyers' markets, like, there's only three years left on this hot water tank. (sighs) It's like, well, we're not going to give you a new one because (laughs) there's an old one that's working there. Yeah. Right. Um, So you didn't believe you were getting a new one. And maybe it was a surprise. Maybe you couldn't tell by looking at it, but you knew you were getting a used one, (laughs) right? There was no misconception that you're getting a new one. So if a new one in this market costs 1,300 bucks, if you were to concede something on that, and I'm just using this as an example, you wouldn't concede the full cost of one. Exactly. Right? And where that comes in sometimes is uh, appliances. So Mm. be like, you know what? The dishwasher's acting a little funny. A new dishwasher's, you know, 1,200 bucks to get a good one, or maybe it's a 1,000 bucks, so, yeah, well, you didn't think you were getting a new one, though, and I'm not going to give you money for a new one when there's, like, an old one here. Like, so I'll give you the value for the used one, right? So there's, again, these little nuance of negotiations in there uh, of what values you can assign to things, exactly. which is subjective ultimately, right?
0: But I was going to say, in a, exactly in a buyer's market, the buyer's going like, I don't care. I'm wanting the money for a new one. Yeah. And so you'll see that. And then in today's market and seller's market, they're like, I don't care. I'm just going to take the dishwasher with me.
1: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You get no dishwasher. (laughs) You get dish soap. We're sending an amendment. We're keeping the dishwasher. Yeah. Um, So you get through that process. And ultimately, um, once everything, everyone's on the same side and the buyer has satisfied all of their due diligence and you've come to an agreement, you firm up the sale of the property, which now includes uh, a waiver form. Um, or at least an acknowledgement of the – if it requires a waiver form if they've had conditions in the deal saying, we are satisfied with those conditions now, and that is when your property is sold. So you're on the market active, you have an accepted offer subject to due diligence, that's conditional conditional pending, and then once those conditions are waived, you are sold, and then you are closed, so – closed actually happens quite a bit after sold. Exactly. So
0: the firming of the deal there's two things. So you sign that waiver form that's basically the buyer signs that waiver form explaining that they have done their due diligence and they have confirmed that they are buying this house usually attached to that sometimes earlier but usually attached to that also comes a deposit. And with that there's a deposit that you had agreed upon earlier and it varies honestly I feel like when I started it was 2500 bucks for every house. Now to show strength a lot of people are increasing those deposits oh, Yeah. dollars 25 dollars $100,000 deposits and those go into trust with your lawyer and you will not get those funds until closing. Sometimes in commercial deals, you'll see them get released a little bit early yeah. Um, or they'll be made non-refundable. But that deposit is there. And at that time, that's kind of give you some security, even though you're like, well, how do we know they're actually going to show up on closing day? Well, that deposit plus obviously all the documentation is there to kind of give you some confidence in that. And yeah. technically, the idea is if they didn't show up on closing day you would take that deposit and keep it.
1: Yeah. So I get that question every now and again. Like, well what happens now like so they're locked in, right? They're locked in. What if they don't what if they don't close? Yeah. It's like, well, I mean, like they could get struck by lightning tomorrow, right? Like <laughs> things do happen. Yeah. But contractually they are obligated to close that property. Yeah. If they don't, if they try to back out, their deposit is um it's Forfeited, um, so there's that element. But if the deposit's only ten thousand bucks, there are people who would walk away from a home over, you know, and be like, "Ah, eh, I'll lose my ten thousand bucks." But you can then sue them uh, either for damages or for specific performance. Yeah. So most people, in these rare, rare, rare instances that this happens, they just resell their home as quickly as possible and then start a lawsuit against the buyers. Yeah. And that lawsuit would be for one losses or damages, like which you'd have to. You know, talk to Laura about putting a value on them. A real quick one is if then you go and sell the property for $20,000 less, you can argue that there's $20,000 worth of damages there plus extra time and energy incurred and caring and and all these things. Or you can sue for specific performance, which basically you're suing someone to execute on a contract, right? Or a judge will order them to close the purchase of that property. Interesting. Right? Yeah. So
0: the uh, other thing I want to mention, I think some people might be a little bit confused by this, and I know I was when I first started, is that deposit goes in during, if it goes in during the conditional period, like they still, this buyer still has the opportunity to terminate the contract and they don't lose a deposit to you. Right. Like if they find something on inspection, like the foundation's caving in and you guys can't come to terms with a price or they're just, there's no way that they can fit basically fix it and be prepared to get into that home. They can terminate that contract. They don't owe you a deposit. No. Even if the deposit's in, it gets released back to them during that conditional period. Only once they give you that waiver saying we're purchasing this house, we're going through with the process, does that, deposit basically become yours effectively prior to that during that conditional window, if they get, if they get rejected on financing, same deal. If the deposits in, they're getting it back assuming it's during the conditional period. But like Chandler said, if you don't have a financing clause and they go through the process and then they get an, um, an appraisal after the fact, and it doesn't make up the difference or it doesn't show up as a full price and they have to make up the difference, that's on them or they're, they're going to have to forfeit their deposit to you because they didn't have a financing clause and they passed that conditional date.
1: Yeah. So as you're leading up to closing, this is th- the closing date is the date that you leave the property or essentially hand over title to the new owners. Yeah. This yeah. is the actual closing of the transaction. So you need to also think about the logistics of that. That includes disconnecting the utilities from your name and making sure they're transferred over to the new owner. Um internet as well. I that's the one yeah. that always gets forgotten. Yeah. Uh, and with the internet, it's like, oh, shoot, I needed to take that bell box because otherwise they're going to charge me $150. <laughs> like all these little things that you need to sort out with your move. Uh, you also need to plan actually getting movers, making sure the property is clean and tidy and has not been damaged since the time of the sale. Um, and prepare for a final walkthrough from the buyer who's going to do one last visit to make sure that everything is is the same.
0: And you want to be out the day before. So if your closing totally. is April yeah. 15th, you need to be out April 14th. And like honestly, that empty out process and getting it to the point of like swept clean, really it should be properly fully cleaned, is a process. And I honestly recommend hiring a company to come do it because after all the moving, you are dead and you do not want to have to drive back to the house to Swiffer and vacuum the thing.
1: This is also a really good time to reopen dialogue. Like, you know, sometimes you sell your home, you go through the due diligence, the the deal is firm. And then there's like another 45 days or 60 days until you're closing. And, you won't have his regular contact with your agent and your agent won't have his regular contact with the buyer during that period of time. Yeah, This is a good time to check back in kind of a week leading up and saying, okay, so uh, what do I need to do here? It's like, well, you need to clean, you need to move, you need to pack your stuff up, you need to transfer utilities out. Um, we also need to be reminded of what's included in this deal. Like, remember, we're leaving all of the window coverings. That was negotiated as part of the deal. Um, we are emptying out the shib- sh- uh, shed of all debris. Yep. If there is anything that you're thinking you might leave in that home, you need to tell me first so I can clear it with the buyer. Because there's nothing worse Than the seller being like, What? I thought you wanted this collection of rough sawn lumber. (laughs) You know, I was just (laughs) going to leave it in the shed. This collection of
0: black garbage
1: bags full of garbage in the shed. (laughs) (laughs) No, but like sometimes sellers genuinely, like, Oh, you know, they want this. This is a perfectly valuable hutch. I'm just going to leave this hutch in the dining room because I'm assuming the next people would want it. Why wouldn't they? And then you get to closing. And the buyers do their final walkthrough and they say, we don't want this hutch and it's going to be $300 to remove. And now you've got a headache on your hands. So leading up to closing, make sure you're really in communication with your agent who is in turn in, in communication with the buyer's agent so that there's no misunderstanding in terms of what's included with the property and what condition and cleanliness and, you know, vacant possession Emphasis is going to look on like.
0: Condition the house also needs to be in the same condition as when they did their inspections when they went and walked through the house. If you oh, punch man. a hole in the wall or something gets knocked off or something gets breaks right during here. the moving, that has to be fixed prior to closing because otherwise they're going to come do their pre-closed walkthrough on the day of closing before they release the funds. And they're going to be like, we didn't buy it with this giant hole in the wall. And you're either going to be responsible to get that fixed or they're going to do a hold back and they can hire the company of their choice to come and fix it. Yeah,
1: There's
0: a little helicopter CK. flying by CK us CK right now. It's flying
1: by. Um, a couple of things. I mean, I've had properties that something leaked I would say the
0: leak's would be the most common one. Yeah,
1: yeah. So, like, you sold the property, everything is good. It's like, oh, my gosh. Like, we had a crazy windstorm. It blew off three shingles in the roof leak. It's like, yeah, you got to repair that to the condition it was in. One, when I was in high school, man, I think I was in grade 11 or grade 12. I can't remember. Um, But this girl in grade 10, early on in the year, like, I think it was in September, her parents had sold their house, so it was empty. But she still had a key. (sighs) And she decided that, you know, I'm going to make some friends. I'm going to throw a big party no, this is back in the day, man. This was like before Facebook. So I don't know. I think it like went around on ICQ or MSN messenger. Damn. And everyone was like, man, this party's going off down the South end. This was like not a cheap house. And it was completely empty. No furniture, no anything. Great place to have a party. And how would her parents know that place got trashed? I remember someone just punching holes in the drywall and kicking out spindles no. of, the, uh, of, of the banister. No um, way. And needless to say, her parents found out. And, I would, I would they, imagine. They had to restore the property to its condition uh, before the sale would be completed. And my buddy, oh, I think it was my buddy Rich, uh, shout out Rich O'Coin, I think he like left his jacket there, so he had to go back the next day, and her parents were there like just devastated. He's like, yeah, that's my jacket right there. i going to need <laughs> to grab that. Uh, but in that case, like they would have had to spend however many thousands of dollars to get the property ready um, to close. Did you kick a hole in the wall? No, man, I'm not that kind of guy. You knocked out one spindle. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. No, to no, be I, did not. I did not. I did not. I don't know. Um, yeah. So <laughs> the property. Uh, that's. Just, Anyways. So let's go I quickly back f- over the steps. Yeah. I'll I'll, so, I'll fire the the heading at you. You give me one sentence. Okay. Sure. Step one: decide that you are truly ready to sell mentally and financially. All right. Also, have a destination where to go. Step two: pick a realtor.
0: Make sure he's not he he or she <laughs> is knowledgeable about the area, but that you also can communicate and relate with them, and you get along with them, and they can help you get through this process.
1: I'm putting you on the spot with these. So you bad. are uh, prepare your home and yourself to sell.
0: Okay, so you got to pick a price or a price range. You got to pick a date that's going to go up, and understand what you're going to do for improvements and everything to get it ready to go.
1: All right, list the property. You list the property. Get it on the market. <laughs> and get out of there. Um, offer and review time. Offer review time.
0: You're going to sit with your realtor. You're going to go over all the offers that come in, if there is a bunch or if there's just one, and you're going he's going to explain to you what's going on with it so you can make a decision at that point. Step six, conditional period. This is after the offer is accepted. You're going to spend two weeks getting your house inspected and they're going to get their financing approved and then you're going to prepare for closing. Seven, locking in that deal. Locking in the deal. You're going to receive a deposit and a waiver from the buyer saying that they're buying this house and now you're literally waiting for closing day. And closing date? You're gonna have the house empty and clean and ready for the buyer to come through. You're gonna make sure no spindles are kicked out, no holes in the wall.
1: <laughs> and Uh-oh. it's gonna be ready good to go. Party, though. There were people from Dartmouth there. So this was a Halifax so party, and I remember like there were people from Dartmouth and were like, man. For a high school party. party to really drag popping. Them all the like way these guys from Dartmouth came? <laughs> man, anyway. Good times. Good stuff. If well, anyone remembers like who that person was or remembers that party, anyone from like QEH, if someone comment pictures, on this and like Yeah. What did just, you guys use for pictures? Was there pictures? Uh, we just like, everyone stood still and someone did a char- someone did charcoal a quick. drawing, <laughs> <laughs> uh, man. It was actually like, um, digital cameras, man. Like MP3 players that just get, were coming no out around there. But my buddy had a digital camera. We called Bobby digital and yeah, but it would only fit like 50 photos and they were not good. <laughs> 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 oh There's a good thing. There's no pictures, man. Cause nowadays there's be pictures of that I know. It'd be online. It'd be a bad thing, man. So the good old days where nothing was. No video evidence. The good old days.
0: Yeah. Anyways, thanks for listening. That's how you sell your house. Uh, I'm sure leave us some comments. I'm sure there's a few things that we missed and there's still things that people are interested in finding out about. Check us out on Apple, Spotify, YouTube. Thanks, everyone, for the support. It's
1: been awesome. We've been getting lots of feedback, lots of questions. So let's keep doing it. All right on. Thanks for listening. Bye. Thank you for tuning in for this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you use. And if you're on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, give us a rating and send us some feedback. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us on social media at Master Keys Podcast. See you next week.
0: When, 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 when I was broke, I had rich habits. Uh. When I was broke, I had rich habits, uh.